This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Oh, yeah. We're going to take a big old spin around all four cities that exited during the conference semifinals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And perhaps, look, all four of these places are disappointed with how it ended for them this year. We'll go to Seattle. We'll go to Jersey. We'll go to Toronto. Uh, Speaking of north of the border, I don't know if the expectations were perhaps any higher for any of these four teams or the fans any more disappointed than they could be in Edmonton with the Oilers' exit in the second round. Pleased enough to be joined by Jason Greger of TSN 1260 in Edmonton. Jason, thanks for taking the time. How is everybody doing up there in northern Alberta? Oh, well, it's smoky as hell up here, unfortunately. There's a lot of fire going on. That sucks. But um, yeah, you know what? The uh, uh, Oiler fans were obviously disappointed, but uh, not as much as the team. Like, the team was gutted. I have, I've covered the Oilers for, I don't know how many years, 20-some years. And this group, this was easily the worst loss for them. Not, not even close. Uh, I know that they went to the conference finals last year, and you would think, oh, going deeper would be harder. They're a better team this year. Yeah. And they had higher expectations. And they came up short, but the, the big thing, and you know, sometimes I think, you know, I, I do believe in the adage that you, you have to learn to lose because you know what you have to do to win. And after that series loss, they even took an extra day off. Usually, you know, teams lose the next day. It's they clean it out. They want to get out of Dodge. Um, they actually had a whole day off of nothing. Then they uh, met with the media on the Tuesday and Leon Dreisaitl, McDavid, Ekholm, all the all their leaders who spoke talked about how they have to stop gifting goals, essentially, mm. which was has been a problem in Edmonton. And uh, scoring goals isn't an issue. People will talk about their depth. The depth is not a problem in Edmonton. They and and the thing is, if you look at all the underlying numbers in that series against Vegas, they outshot them, they outchanced them. But the problem was, they would give up kind of an easy goal at the most inopportune time. Like games one to four were split even. Both teams sucked twice and both teams dominated twice. Then it became a best of three. And if you look in games five and six, Edmonton dominated the first and third periods, but were terrible in the second. And that cost them the games. That was the game right there. And so I, I think maybe they finally learned that there's times where you got to just chip it out or, you know what, this is not the time to pinch and so many different things. And, uh, you know, I, I I do believe there there's something about learning that. Some would say, well, you should learn it sooner than that. But usually most of us as human beings, it, it takes some real pain and suffering before you finally click in, right? Yeah, it, and- it, it, it reminds me, Jason, not to interrupt, I'm sorry, but it reminds me, and, and look, it, it, this is a Penguins podcast. I don't make everything about the Penguins, but in, in this te- the Penguins team in 2008 Yes. That lost to the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup final was much younger, and I think a lot more immature, maybe in certain ways, uh, than this Oilers team is. But the style of play, certainly, right? Leaning on the stars, guys trying to do too much in some instances. It did remind me of that in some instances where the McDavid's and the Dry Sidles uh, thought they know they can do it and seemingly then try to do it every single time rather than taking the simple play, as you alluded to there. Yeah, I, th- I think that was like if you look at who was on the ice for the goals against, it wasn't their bottom six getting lit up, right? And uh, and you know now obviously they're offensive guys like Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, and Kane. Their their next level of guys mm-hmm. didn't produce as much as they would like. You know Hyman was banged up, that was obvious. Uh, Kane, I don't think is really going to be the same until next year, a full year after that horrific wrist injury. Like you can come back and play, but you're not 100. Right. Um, Nugent Hopkins to me is more of a complimentary guy, five on five. He's an excellent power play player, 
but he's a complimentary guy five on five. They've got the depth, they've got the size, uh, and now they got some experience. And and so, you know, I look for Edmonton next year. Like they're in their window to win, but just because you're in the window to win doesn't mean you'll win. Ask the San Jose Sharks, right? Uh, they they were the best, they had the most wins over 12 years of any team and couldn't ever get to the chance. And they had the second most playoff wins, but never won a title. So there's no guarantees. And that's what you learn. You're like, look at this year's playoffs. How many people thought like if, if your Pittsburgh Penguins hadn't soiled the sheets against Chicago, <laughs> think about how different things would be. Florida oh. wouldn't be in the playoffs, right? Chicago wouldn't have got Bedard. Right. And who, who knows? Like, I still think the Penguins would have made their, their changes. Cause I don't, I don't know if they would have been able to beat Boston anyway. So I think they would have made their managerial changes anyway. But right. when you look at, the present and the future of the NHL, that loss to Chicago by Pittsburgh, which shouldn't have happened. Like, let's be real. Oh, yeah. The the, the Blackhawks had been, what, 1-11 in their previous 12 and being outscored 54-24. to 24. Like, Pittsburgh should have walked them, and and they didn't. And that was probably a, you know, and not to, uh, you know, bring back bad memories for <laughs> Penguins fans, but. No, I, we're, I think, we're okay stewing in it this summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right? So, it, it's in, there's no guarantees. And so, Edmonton, they're just going to have to hope that that next year when they get to the playoffs, they can learn. And I do believe, though, because I for the first half of the season, I was telling all the time, I said, the orders are the they're Santa Claus. They could gift goals better than anyone else. And then they cut it out in the second half. But then it resurfaced in that series against Vegas. And they're going to have to learn that if they want to go deeper next year. Well, you're right. The butterfly effect of any of the number of losses the Penguins had down the stretch to teams they shouldn't have lost to with the Blackhawks loss in the home finale being the cherry on top of the poop Sunday. I mean, they had losses to Ottawa. They had losses to Montreal. They had a game against Columbus where they were down for nothing before they finally woke up. Those all certainly you're right. The, 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 the ripple effect of that Chicago loss and any of any single set of two points that the Penguins could have captured down the stretch. We're not talking about the incredible Matthew Kachuk, Sergei Bobrovsky show rolling into the Stanley cup final. Um, as I look at the Oilers, this, I wouldn't imagine is a summer of great change. And, you know, the core pieces are in place, most of them for a number of years going forward. So then it, it strikes me, what is the organization expecting? What are the fans expecting as far as growth? If there aren't going to be any gr great changes, um, is it on Jay Woodcroft to get something more out of these guys? to reinforce some of those things you were talking about, the simplicity of the game at times rather than trying to do too much. Are they counting on Ken Holland to go out and get maybe one more piece? Or are they counting on these players to put more on their shoulders as a leadership group and go marching into next year and finally break through what is this now glass ceiling above them of getting to the cup final? Well, they definitely have some decisions to make. They're, they're not massive decisions, but they're kind of more depth ones. You look mm -hmm. at Bukestad and Ryan and Costin and Yanmark are all, uh, well, three of them are, are UFAs. Costin's an RFA, but he has Arbrights. And, um, you know, he scored 11 goals in 50 some games. So, you know, he's, if he goes to arbitration, he'll get a big ticket. So I think Edmonton's either going to sign him before, or they might just walk away because they want to avoid arbitration and then try to like, try to do what Vegas did with Brett Howden and then just re-sign him after you, uh, you don't qualify him. Yeah. Um, there are two decisions they need to make. One is Kyler Yamamoto. I, I think they're going to have to move on from Yamamoto. And there's two ways to do it. They can trade him. He's got one year left at 3.1 million. Or they could buy him out because he's under 26 years of age. And uh, he'd only carry 433K in cap this year and then 533 next year. So a, a very small when it comes to a yeah. buyout. And that would save them a lot of money. So I think one of those two things is going to happen with him. Um, defense is the interesting question. Because they've got young Philip Broberg on the left side, but they got nurse Ekholm and, and Kulak and Brett Kulak's been great for two years in the playoffs. I, I don't, I don't see why you'd want to get rid of him. Um, Cody CC two years ago was very good last year. He played through an, an injury, didn't have a good year. So they're going to have to decide, do we come back and see what we've got here? Like how much more of a step will Broberg take Vincent Deharnay, you know, not, not a young defenseman in age, but a young defenseman in, in um, NHL experience. Can they just play it calm and start the season with those seven defensemen and say, let's just see what we have here. And then maybe make another Ekholm type move at the deadline. So I, I think they're, that's their main decision. And then who's coming back as far as UFAs, Nick Bukestad played really well in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And I think Bukestad could probably get two to 2.2 on the free agent market. Edmonton's not going to, can't afford to pay him that, but will he want to sign here for less 
because he finally won a playoff series for the first time in his career. And he talked about how great it was. So th- those are kind of the decisions I think for Edmonton. Now you never know, maybe Ken Holland shocks us and makes a significant trade. I just, I, I don't see where one happens. Like they're going to, they're going to have to hope that Jack Campbell rebounds and goaltenders. Chris, if, if you could predict even half of the goalies in the league and what they're going to do from year to year, you'd be making a boatload of money. Yeah, well, I was going to bring up goaltending next because, to to your point, it's impossible to predict a similar situation here in Pittsburgh. Look, if we could all rewind uh, four or five years ago and and make what is now in hindsight, uh, being at 2020, uh, the obvious decision of, well, flurry over Murray, right? Let the guy ride out his career in Pittsburgh and, and maybe you get another magical run or two from him. But the obvious decision at the time before the Vegas expansion draft was keep the young cost controllable Matt Murray and let Marc-Andre Fleury move on. And now we're all the way down to what do you do with Tristan Jari? So you're right. Uh, this it, it's odd to me, Jason, I don't know what you think of it, but it's odd to me that in an off season sort of bereft of quality goaltending on the market, it feels more than ever like for, for many of the teams that are this close it should be about goaltending. And there's not many directions to go this offseason as far as goaltending goes. You know, maybe a, a John Gibson becomes available out of Anaheim. I, I don't know if that's an option for the Penguins with their cap situation, but in other places, maybe it is. Other than that, there's just not a lot of, of different... It, it's going to be hard to find goalies to fit all the teams that feel like they, they have question marks, I guess, at that position. Yeah, the one major goalie story is going to be Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. He's one year away from free agency. I think they're going to want to find out. Like, I think Winnipeg is going to be the most fascinating team to watch this offseason. What happens with Wheeler, Shifley, Hellebuck? Are, you know, are they going to like? Are they going to make a Calgary type of summer from last year? And if Connor Hellebuck is available, whew, there'll be lots of teams uh, with their ears perking up for sure uh, to see him. Like. Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh. I think Tristan Jari is pretty good goalie. You know, he, he got injured and, and that really screwed over Pittsburgh and himself uh, last season. Yeah. And, you know, it played through injuries at times. But I, like, look at Sergei Bobrovsky. Sergei Bobrovsky for a few years was kind of much. Now he's one of Esna, so he's got a little bit longer of a track record, but he's been absolutely lights out. And then you look at a guy like Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill for the last few years in San Jose was meh at best. And now he's in Vegas in a system that doesn't demand that he has to be Bobrovsky good. He's not facing as many quality chances as Bobrovsky, but he's flourishing in Vegas. So teams, I think you look at it now, you want to have competent goaltending. And really, for the most part, I think you're better off platooning guys, except unless you can get one of those elite top five goalies, which are rare to to find. Like Sorokin's not going anywhere. Shesterkin's not going anywhere. Vasilevsky's not going anywhere. So, um you know, Hellebuck's the one guy, maybe. And even then, do you want to overplay these guys? Like Marc-Andre Fleury is the last guy to win a Stanley Cup playing 60 games. The last guy. That was 2009. Right. So um, I just, I think less is more for goalies. So find two and hope that one of them can get hot. And then don't do what Boston did, Chris. Don't go into the playoffs and change everything that you did all season long. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. He hadn't started two games in a row, all Mark, since middle of or early December. And then you play him six in a row. And especially after game two, when he had struggled, you easily could have went to Swayman there and be like, that's what we've done all playoffs. Right. Before I let you run, Jason, uh, just how close, I mean, it, it, it's felt for the last couple of years now, like the Oilers are right there on the precipice. They're right there. Um, I thought this would be the year they would break through to the cup final. They don't, they exit early. How confident is the fan base? How confident are they within the organization that this is all on the right track? We just need to get the right performances out of the right guys at the right time. I think right now for Edmonton, they, they've got a lot of the right pieces. No one's going to have every perfect piece. Like Tampa Mm -hmm. was a unicorn by having an elite goalie, elite defenseman and lead forwards. Like that's just rare, right? Pittsburgh had it of course with young guys in Latang and flurry and Crosby and them, but that's rare to have, right? Like Chicago won three out of six. They never had a dominant goalie. Like Corey Crawford became pretty good. But in 2010, I don't think everybody was like, oh, we got to get Miami. Like, oh, my God, he's the answer. So um, it's it's something that, you know, they're going to hope Stuart Skinner just keeps developing because I think that's the most realistic option and goal. Uh, Jack Campbell, I don't think, can be as bad as he was last year, even if he tried. I think automatically he's going to be an improvement. And and nowadays, you just need like 905, right? Like, you don't need to be stellar. That's great. 
but you don't need to be stellar. Edmonton's going to score. Edmonton can, they're the, be- the best scoring team in the league. Their offense isn't magically going to uh, just eliminate itself. Right. But I think Jay Woodcroft, as you alluded to earlier, Chris, this next year, I think is going to be where the coach has to be one that says, guys, here's our standard. And I don't care if it's dry or whoever, if you don't appeal to the standard at one point, you might miss a shift because sitting dry down for one shift, it's going to carry way more weight 10 times than sitting down your bottom six guys because they make a mistake, right? Yeah. Good, good coaches will demand that sometimes. And now dry subtle holds himself to a real high accountable. Like he was almost in tears after the after the game six. He thought he played terrible. He didn't like how he played. And you know, he's a guy who cares. So I'm not worried about him at all. But I think it was great for Edmonton that their best players are like, we've essentially got to stop being Santa Claus. And and if they buy into it, every depth guy does because if you don't then the star players go to the GM and say, get rid of this guy. Cause it's easy to replace bottom six guys. It's hard to replace yeah. the star. guys. It's going to be something to watch this off season. Uh, and, and again, it'll, we'll roll into the fall. I think feeling like the Oilers are one of those teams to beat out West. And it's just a matter of, to your point, can they stop giving it away? Jason Greger of TSN 1260 in Edmonton. Always great to catch up with you, my friend. Always appreciate your insight on the Oilers. We'll do it again, uh, perhaps once free agency rolls around, if something big happens, or as the season approaches later this summer. Thanks again, Jason. Awesome, Chris. Have a good one. And from out west, we go to the heart of Canada. I don't know. The people out west would argue that it's not. Uh, probably. But it is... The heart of hockey in Canada, it's Toronto. And Kevin McGrand of the Toronto Star covers the Maple Leafs and has done so exceedingly well for a while now. And he joins me next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff as we go from out west. The two the two hopes that were left for Canadian hockey fans to somehow get that first Stanley Cup since the Canadiens in 93 were Edmonton out west, Toronto in the east. And Kevin, the Maple Leafs, much like the expectations that were heaped upon the Oilers' shoulders, uh, they collapsed under the weight of those expectations, it seems like. And now, starting from scratch just a little bit, we, we will try to avoid the Kyle Dubas discussion as long as we can. <laughs> so let's let's start with, because that wasn't the point of having you on, I promise. The, the point was to talk about this year's Leafs team, um, how well they played at times, the moves Dubas made in particular at the deadline and leading up to the deadline what looked to be seemingly going well, getting the first first round victory in many, many moons and then flaming out in the second round the way they did. So let's start with what went well. And and I guess you can go from there into what didn't work in the second round. Well, I mean, uh, Dubas made a big bet at the beginning of the year or, you know, in July on two reclamation projects. One you're very well familiar with, Matt Murray. Mm-hmm. and the other Ilya Samsonov and to a degree he won the bet because Samsonov played very very well for them uh, I'm a firm believer in goaltending wins playoffs yep um, I personally did not pick Sergei Bobrovsky to be that goalie but <laughs> <laughs> did any of us honestly or for that matter Aiden Hill like I, yeah. those but they're playing well and they're winning playoffs and so I think there, that was one bet you know, Matt Murray, he's kind of whatever. Um, when he was healthy, he was okay, but he wasn't healthy at a lot. And you're familiar with that. And yep. so that's the way it rolls. So from that, I think that was one thing that, play, that ha- happened very well for them. Their core four had great seasons. Austin Matthews, not so much. He was battling wrist injuries and other other things all year, but he still played an incredibly complete game. He still remains an elite center. So they're good on that front. They win the round. Uh, John Tavares is the core forward who is under the most heat because of his age and the size of his contract. He scores the goal that gets them into the second round. And then they all go stone cold against Bobrovsky in, in, in the third round. It's like they, they don't know how to score anymore. They got a lot of shots. There were things that you could be very positive about. I mean, the trade deadline stuff was pretty good. Luke Shen worked out way better than most people imagine yep. Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari were as as advertised in terms of the grit and toughness and intangibles they bring I for one am I I mean I know I'm, I'm smart enough never to bet on the Leafs like if you bet against <laughs> the Leafs you probably will will make a lot of money because of the, the support of that team but it would not have surprised me if it was the Leafs Oilers Stanley Cup final 
because those two teams just seem like they're destined to to face each other. And now who's laughing the loudest? Uh, Matthew's friend and the number two overall behind McDavid, uh, Jack Eichel, right? He's the guy that's going to get there before the other two. And And that's actually amazing. In a year where we thought we'd maybe break the Canadian curse of winning the Stanley Cup, instead we've got Sunbelt teams all over the place. And uh, Gary Bettman's master plan for expanding across <laughs> the South has has finally taken root in, in getting one of these teams a Stanley Cup. To bring it back north of the border, though, you mentioned Matthews dealing with injuries this year, all the pressure that's on Tavares. And when we start to look forward, at an organization now that is moving on from their general manager, we see an organization that I, I think has a very limited window left, right? And, and at the very least, they've got to decide what they're going to do with contract extensions. They're getting to the point where Matthews with a year left, uh, Nylander with a, a year left, um, two years left on Tavares and Marner. Um, they, they've got to decide, I would think, on what this thing looks like going forward and how they start to build it forward. But they're now also looking for the person who's going to be doing that building, but while also, hey, let's keep it together because we think we like this group of guys and it's probably the right group of guys. Um, it's it's stunning to me that they made the decision on Dubas that they did uh, because it seemed to a lot of us that he had put he had found the, the right formula to an extent and that this came down on the guys on the ice in the second round. Um, so what is the plan going forward from the general manager's position on down to how they decide who's part of the core going forward and who is, uh, you raise an absolutely fascinating question to me. It doesn't look like there really is a plan. There Mm -hmm. had been a plan. The plan had been to, and Brent Shannon laid it all out. The the plan was Kyle Dubas, the plan Monday when Kyle Dubas had like last Monday, when he had that heartfelt uh, it, uh, uh, news conference where he talked about the pressures and, and the burnout in his family. The plan still was Kyle Dubas. On the Tuesday, it was Kyle Dubas. On the Wednesday, it was Kyle Dubas. On the Thursday, there were contract back and forth. So it was still Kyle Dubas. And then on Friday, it wasn't Kyle Dubas. Wow. Like it, it's like it, something happened on a personal note, I think, where Brendan Shanahan's nose was out of joint about how Kyle wanted to take the team going forward, probably more power, more money for Kyle, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And suddenly Brandon Shanahan couldn't work with him anymore. After all year, the plan was Kyle Dubas. Suddenly it wasn't Kyle Dubas. Kyle is the guy with the best relationship with Austin Matthews and his camp, and for that matter, all the players in their camps. Um, Brandon had sort of removed himself from those conversations. He's had to repair those relationships. He's had to reach out to the players and their agents to assure them they're not getting traded. It's all coming back. But now there's a new general manager who's got a very short window, A, not just to prepare for the draft, um, although I would trust uh, Wes Clark and, and their Leafs scouting staff. They do a pretty good job. But making these decisions on Austin Matthews, July 1st, a no-movement clause kicks in for him and for Mitch Marner. You have to have a sense if Matthews is going to resign if you're going to keep him because right. you can't let him walk away as a free agent. Um in a year from now for nothing. So the general manager who probably has no relationship with this player or his agent has to, is now the one who's got to make the call. So I can understand from Matthew's perspective that, Hey, let's, I'm not going to sign right away, but I'm, you know, if he says, you know, maybe, but is that even good enough? So then are you facing a situation where Bradshaw living was in last year where Matthew to says, I'm not going to sign trade me. And so that's what they do, and that's where we are today. So it's 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 absolutely fascinating that that the one guy who had the plan to bring back the core four, uh, keep it intact, run it back, is out of the picture. I mean, I think the right play is to bring everybody back, but mm-hmm. is if it's only for one year, is that really the right play then? Like, if you can get everybody one big happy family and and keep trying to add those parts, because for me, the the three guys that matter the most, Matthews, Nylander, and Marner, they haven't even hit their prime yet. They so, are still like 24, 25 years of age. Right. So so what is the sense you get from ML from Shanahan and, and I guess MLSE, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, about what 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 they want to do in in the next month and a half? Because this is to your point, you know, the draft is one thing. 
But there is maneuvering that takes place at the draft, obviously. You, you can rearrange a couple pieces on the chessboard at the very least. And then free agency, where you can make wholesale changes if you want. You can go nuts. Um, but it, what is your sense about they want butts in seats, right? They want they want sponsorship money. They want Tavares's and Matthews and Riley's of the world to be out there who they can market, I imagine. They're not interested in any kind of a retool or or rebuild, certainly. Um, so so who's guiding the ship, I guess? It, it sounds like Shani at this point. And remember, they're owned by the two biggest media conglomerates. In they want ratings, they want right. advertising sales, they, they want, want clicks. Well. Yeah, they want they want more than two rounds of the playoffs. Trust right. me. Right. But, um, so there, there's all that at play, and, and I think it's Brendan Shanahan's job to navigate that now. But he's got to get himself a general manager who can, with whom he sees eye to eye, and and who can manage these manage these multiple relationships, keep it together. I mean, the Leafs went through this. Shanahan started the, the so-called Shanna plan um, uh, nine years ago. It, it worked to the degree that they gathered a whole bunch of young players. They kept them bubbling down in, in uh, they got their number one overall pick. They brought everybody up and they've been in the playoffs ever since. Right. Uh, so it worked to that degree. It's just that they can't figure out how to win a round. And when I look at the playoffs and I look at, a four game sweep by Florida over Carolina. That was like as close as you could possibly play for four games. Like how did Carolina not even win a game is beyond me. That's how close things are. And the, if puck luck's not going your way, I mean, do you, you fire the general manager because of that? Like it, it just seems all so ridiculous. You hit yeah. a post and, and you, you score, maybe the goalie gets pulled. You don't score. The goalie gets confidence. It, it's a crazy, it's a crazy game. It absolutely is a crazy game. And the Leafs are perhaps in the craziest position because they've got so much and have achieved so little. And you kind of go, what is the magic elixir to get them over to the next step? And maybe there really is no magic elixir other than flip a coin. Yeah. Or, or maybe to your point, to bring it back around to where we kind of started this conversation, it's in goal. And, uh, you know, is it a, a, a big contract for Samsonoff, uh, a restricted free agent? Is it believing in him with Murray as a as a plan B? Can Matt Murray be a plan B if you can't trust him as a plan A? He's only got a year left on his deal. Um, I guess to bring it all the way back around to where we to where we started, Kevin, what's the plan there in goal? Uh, and and can they build out from there and then build around the core four that you spoke of, and perhaps not see an off season of great tumult despite kicking their successful GM to the curb. Well, goaltending has weirdly become a position of strength for this organization. Now, historically, this organization has not been able to develop a meaningful goalie uh, in generations. Felix Potvin was the last one that this organization developed and used in, in the playoffs to succeed. They did draft Tuka Rask, but they traded him before he did anything. And mm -hmm. they did develop James Reimer, who's had a fairly good career. But no real impact goalie has come out of this organization. And they believe they have one now in Joe Wall, who finished the playoffs when Samsonov got hurt. And so Joe Wall is not going to the Marlies. He's not going to the AHL. He, he requires uh, waivers to go. So they're not going to send him down. They have Samsonov as an RFA, so they have him controllable. And organizationally, if you believe what they say, they still have faith in Matt Murray. I think Matt Murray at 30 games is probably a good Matt Murray. I, mm -hmm. I think you can probably rely on that, and that's not bad. Do you go with a three-goalie system, or do you now have the ability to maybe sign and trade Samsonov? Do you have the – is there interest in Joe Wall? So they actually have a – they have a strength in net mining that they haven't had. They're always chasing it with free agents, Freddie Anderson and Jack Campbell, and not free agents, but trading and – giving up a lot to get them. And now they have a guy that they've developed who will be controllable for a, a good long time at a low number. And I think Samsonov becomes a guy that maybe a sign and trade is in his future if they truly love Matt Murray. If they don't love Matt Murray, I mean, he will get injured, so you're going to get LTI space. Yeah. Um, or the buyout numbers for him are actually quite favorable for the team. Um because it's just the way his salary works. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did that, but then their strength will be a net with Joe Wall and Ilya Samsonov. And I, I think that's, that's weird for me to say that they've got numbers in net. 
Well, coming from a fan base that was once staring down a goaltender depth chart of Flurry, Murray, and Jari and thought we had it set for the next few years, <laughs> let me advise, just when you think it's set, Kevin, if it's at all possible, somehow things can go sideways, especially if it involves Matt Murray. So best of luck uh, to the Maple Leafs this summer. Thank you for giving us a couple minutes today. We really do appreciate it. It's going to be fascinating to watch. And we managed to go about 15 minutes and not bring up Kyle Dubas uh, <laughs> meeting with Sidney Crosby a few days ago once until I just did it now. So who knows? I may call for pointers on, on uh, Mr. Dubas very soon. We appreciate the time today, though, and talking about the Leafs. All right, cheers. He loves the Hamilton Tiger cast of the Canadian football. Oh, all right. We can get a, a good place to come. A, a, another <laughs> another steel town with a football team. So there we go. Kevin, thanks so much again. We'll catch up very soon. All right. Cheers, Chris. Have fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From uh, up north to out east, uh, a team that, well, I, I don't know if it was a surprise to their organization, but I think to some people that they progressed as well as they did this year uh, with one key former Penguin piece in particular involved. James Nichols of the fourth period covered the Devils this season, and he joins us to talk about Jersey and their second round exit. James, thanks for making the time today. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it as well. Yeah, I, I I think the Devils' growth and progression, and I mentioned that there off the top, but that's where I think the best place to start is their growth and progression really did. It shouldn't have caught some of us by surprise. It, it, it shouldn't have, but it did this year. Um, you know, to, to see, the, I, I guess, Jack Hughes in particular have the kind of year that he did um, to see the positive influence of an Andre Palat, uh, to see Nico Heischer develop the way he has continued to develop. Things seem very promising out there in, in Jersey. And look, I had them pegged uh, that if they could get through the Rangers, I thought they could make a very deep run um, be, because I, I just I had seen so many of those things work throughout the season. They didn't work in the second round. What didn't work against Carolina, and I guess what can they take from this year positively moving forward? What do they have to learn from negatively to get prepared for the offseason? Yeah, you know, so great questions, and and you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, whether or not um, we were we should have been surprised. I think actually Tom Fitzgerald was a little bit surprised himself with how, uh, you know, how, how much they ascended this season. At, at least that's what he said. He you know he alluded to the fact that he he was. Uh, of the mindset at the beginning of the year that they were going to scratch and claw their way to uh, just a wild card spot, let alone be a top three team in a league and, and battle for first place in the Metropolitan Division. So um, definitely caught him by a surprise that they were as good as they were, but he knew that they were going to be better, right? And that's because he brought in some key acquisitions in, um, you know, like you said, former Penguin, uh, John Marino, and, uh, you know, he solidified their blue line. Uh, he brought in key acquisition in Andre Palat and uh, brought in some real good playoff experience in both of those players. Um, and he solidified the goaltending with Vitek Vanacek. And, um, you know, there was a lot of question mark there before the season because of the health of Mackenzie Blackwood. And if he could stay that way, and then Akira Schmid came out um, onto the scene this season, and he played real well. So, um, one of the things that I think that they can improve on, you know, as far as what happened in Carolina um, was that, you know, the, the goaltending was a little bit questionable in that series. Now, it had been very uh, consistent and, and strong up until that point. Um, however, it, it seems like maybe they um, uh, folded under the pressure a little bit there in that second round. Now, um, what the the Hurricanes did really well, and, and we should attribute the um, the series win to what the, the kind of success that they had against the Devils, um, was that they're they're a really good forechecking team. You know, as much pressure as the Devils put on other teams, um, the, the Carolina Hurricanes are, are equal to that task um, and, and maybe slightly edge them in that series. So uh, with, with the addition of they have a little bit more size than the Devils have, right? That, and that's kind of why um, Tom Fischel went out and acquired Timo Meyer and, and a guy like Curtis Lazar was to add some size to this team um, but they do need to maybe a little bit more of that um, which is coming on the back end too you know you we, we, they have a Kevin Ball who um, 
really progressed well this season. They have a Luke Hughes who, despite his, uh, his two older brothers is, is a, a big body himself. Um, so a little bit of size, a little bit of goaltending. Um, and, and then, you know, the other thing I think too, is that they were a little bit banged up, you know, Jack Hughes, obviously in that game five, um, was questionable to start. Uh, we found out that Dougie Hamilton had uh, gotten right wrist surgery a couple days ago, uh, successful. He'll be ready for the start of next season, but he was banged up. Um, and you know, one of the other, uh, main points for me, and I think we're seeing it in, um, the conference finals right now. Uh, was that, you know, because Akira Schmid is a rookie goaltender and only had so many games under his belt, you know, the Devils needed to rely on Vitek Vanacek in certain spots as well. And I think he experienced a little bit of burnout. You know, he had 32, uh, 33 wins this year. He had, uh, you know, I think the most games he's ever started in his career. Um, and you're seeing that with Jake Ottinger, right? He started 62 games this year. I think he was a little burnt out. He's not really himself or wasn't himself in the, in the series against uh, Vegas and most of the playoffs. Whereas you look at Florida, you look at um, – uh, you look at Vegas and, and you, the, the other teams that remain and all those goaltenders have really good numbers. And that's because they only played no more than 50 games this year. Uh, right. So I think it was a combination of all those things that that really attributed to that second round exit. Lindy Ruff's going to be back. We know that. Uh, is Timo Meyer going to be back? What's the plan for him uh, going <laughs> forward? Because it's going to take a big financial commitment to keep him around. Uh, it doesn't seem like, it, I mean, it was a, a phenomenal move to get him at the deadline, but knowing full well that there was going to be a big bill on the back end if he decided to commit. Yeah, he, he wasn't, um, you know, too open about, you know, what his plans were in the future, although he did say that he was, um, you know, really enjoying his time in New Jersey. He enjoyed um, a lot of the off ice things that are important to players as well as the on ice things. So, look, I, I, I don't have a pulse on whether or not um, he, he's thinking he'll be back, but I, I would find it hard to believe that he isn't um, just because of the fact that he, he spoke about how in San Jose – off the ice, you know, travel was tough. It was two hours to the airport, um, whereas mm -hmm. in New Jersey, it's in his backyard. Uh, you know, uh, just the, the city life and, and being able to, you know, go down the street to the supermarket rather than have to travel a little bit to, you know, to a supermarket for him was a pretty big deal. So, um, you know, take into consideration the other Swedish, uh, I'm sorry, the other Swiss players on the team that, that speak his native language and, and he can, you know, uh, he can hang out with on the regular um, you know, he talked about all these things at exit interviews that as, as all positive things that would make him want to uh, stay on uh, or in New Jersey. In addition to look at the future of this team. I mean, Jack Hughes scored 99 points this year. He's 21 years old. Nico Heischer uh, has registered his first 30 goal, 80 point season. He's 24 years old. The, the, the core of this team is so young um, and, and there's so much success to, to look forward to. Um, and he's like the, the, the puzzle piece to this team. You know, the, the, the Devils don't have too much physicality, but he's like, in, in my opinion, he brings a, an element of, of Matthew Kachuk to this team. You see what Matthew Kachuk is doing yeah. for the Florida Panthers. Timo Meyer does the same thing for the Devils. He just maybe hasn't hit those heights yet, and maybe he won't, but he has that element to his game where he could be physical. Um, he can get under the opponent's skin, but he's also fast and he can score real well. And he has underrated uh, hands. He's, he's very silky with his with his hand so um I, I don't have any inkling to believe why he wouldn't want to stay uh, and i do believe this does get long term it will be pricey but i do believe it gets done well even if they it does get pricey as we believe it will with meyer what's interesting to me is because of the relative youth of this team as you brought up they got a ton of cap space they don't have a lot of guys on big long-term deals so fitzgerald's gonna have some room to play with when he goes out into free agency He's already got his top two pairings on the blue line taken care of. We talked about Marino, Siegenthaler, uh, Hamilton, and Ball earlier. So he doesn't have to – there's no big ticket items to shop for on the blue line. He can go out and really start to pick and choose what he wants to add to maybe Palat and Heischer up top, or does he want to target something for uh, – I think Meyer and Hughes were skating together most of the time. What, what, do you get an idea, a sense of – with a little bit of room under the, forget a little bit, a decent amount of room under the cap, what direction Tom Fitzgerald might be looking this summer? Yeah, so they're going to have the third most cap space going into this summer. They're going to have, as of right now, $34 million to work with. And they're talking about the salary cap maybe jumping one and a half to two million instead of just the one. So you're mm -hmm. looking at a possible $36 million to play with. And yes, they have a, a lot of contracts to bring back. I believe it's upwards of 13 or 14 contracts that he does need to sign. Um, and, and 
the top priorities are Timo Meyer and Jesper Bratt. Now, the Jesper Bratt uh, conversation uh, with Tom Fitzgerald and his agent has been happening since November. Uh, it's been a, a long and, and tough grind, a tough negotiation. Um, but at the end of the day, I have no reason to believe why that one won't happen either. So the, the top priority is getting both Timo Meyer and Jesper Bratt locked down. Um, mm-hmm. And then he has to figure out where to plug in the, the, you know, the rest with what he's got left. And in my opinion, if you can plug those two into the lineup for, let's say, um, 18 million or less, it's a win. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's 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 going to factor on those two contracts and then everything else will fall into place. I know another guy who the Devils are really high on and, and want to bring back. It's just a matter of, you know, can we figure out the right numbers is Eric Howla. Jack Hughes is a huge fan of Eric Howla. Um, Tom Fitzgerald is a huge fan of Eric Howla. He even said that he would make that trade with the Bruins for Pavel Zaka every day of the week, twice on Sunday. I thought that was a very interesting comment. Um, but, you know, Eric Howla has been adamant about wanting to stay just because you've seen he's been on six teams in the last seven seasons. Um, and he's probably tired at 32 years old of moving around so much. So he had said, you know, at, at exit interviews, like, I, I really love it here. This is my family. I don't see myself playing anywhere else. Uh, and Tom Fitzgerald echoed the same thing. He wants to bring him back, too. So um, the, the, the blue line, like you said, is set. I, I believe that to be true. I even think the top six is set as long as they bring everybody back. You know, Dawson Mercer is another guy yeah. who they could plug into that top six, who I think had an exceptional year in his second year, uh, taking a huge step forward. Um and then they just got to plug and play with the rest. I don't even know that they have to bring in too many uh, free, free agents. You know, they have guys like Thomas Tatar, who they, they can negotiate with. They have Jaeger Sharon Govich, mm-hmm. who they have to negotiate with. So, um, you know, they, they have a team right now who they don't need to add too, too much. Um, I, I just – I wonder, and this is purely speculation on my end, if they want to maybe look into bringing in another goaltender, maybe somebody who's more solidified – um, in, in net and, and maybe somebody who's, you know, looking for a change of scenery, um, such as a Connor Hellebuck in, in Winnipeg. The last thing I'll leave you with James is it's interesting to me that as the former protégés of Jim Rutherford start to sort of filter out across the league, Fitzgerald in, in New Jersey, Garen in Minnesota, Botterill out to Seattle, uh, and now bouncing around a little bit in the atmosphere. As all those guys sort of scattered to the wind, now they're all seeing it similarly happen to them in that their protégés are being sought out, right? Dan McKinnon is a guy who was talked about as being involved in the Penguins' GM search, who's uh, an AGM and senior VP for the Devils under Fitzgerald. Uh, I'd heard Kate Madigan's name brought up briefly as well in a couple of GM searches, another AGM for the Devils. Um, do you get a sense, I guess, for how Fitzgerald is prepared to handle having what having once been a target himself of teams looking <laughs> for their next GM, how he's ready to handle his AGMs being approached about roles around the league? Yeah, we, this was a, this is a great question. This is something that we spoken to him about uh, just last week. We had said, you know, you, you have a couple of of uh, people on your team who are, are being uh, looked at as the possibility of being poached off of your roster um, and coaching roster and, and management roster. And he, he kind of chuckled and he said, listen, I take it as a compliment. I can't really worry about these things because of course, you know, as much as I value these people in the organization and want them to stick around, I don't want to take an opportunity away from them. Of course, I want to see them succeed. So I take it as a compliment because they look at our organization and they say, um, you know, these, these, uh, New Jersey Devils know what they're doing in, in player development, in drafting, and and so on and so forth. So, um, as far as him and his his plan moving forward, uh, he all he offered to us was that I can't worry about that, and I'll worry. And, you know, if it happens, it happens, and I'll take mm-hmm. take care of it then. Um, but he was confident in saying that. Look, you know, we groomed we we, we groomed some of these guys like McKinnon. We groomed Madigan. So, um, you know, whoever's next up, we're we're sure that we can we can groom the next one if it does happen if it does come to it but he said first we're gonna have to cross that bridge when we get there but um the 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 consensus from him really was uh we take it as a compliment we're doing something right here in new jersey james thanks so much for the time certainly feels like as the penguins get a little bit older the devils continue to get a little bit younger uh that dynamic probably not going to change at all in the next few years the devils will continue to be uh, a thorn in the aging Penguins side in the Metro division, but uh, it'll be something to watch this organization and this team continue to develop. We'll look forward to seeing you cover it. Appreciate the time today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I'll uh, ho- hopefully talk to you again soon.
Absolutely. James Nichols, the fourth period. Thanks again to James Nichols of the fourth period for giving us a couple minutes to talk about the Devils as we roll through all four teams that were eliminated in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It takes us out to the great Pacific Northwest and Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times, who covers the Kraken. Jeff, thanks for giving us a couple minutes today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's nice to have a couple of days off after that uh, crazy Kraken, uh, Kraken Odyssey through seven games in both their series. Uh, yeah, th- those those series were, um, I mean, something to watch. And the team as a whole this year, you know, Penguin fans... Uh, being a Penguins podcast, naturally, we have to bring it back to Pittsburgh somehow. Um, but Penguin fans were, felt a certain level, I think, at least I did, maybe I'm speaking for too many, a certain level of attachment to this team because of the number of former Penguins on it. And the Penguins' struggles this year were embodied very much in the absences of guys like Jared McCann and Brandon Tanev. Um, and so, if not Justin Schultz as well. Um, you know, so people watch the Kraken maybe a little more closely than they would another Western Conference team here in Pittsburgh. And I think what we saw was, you know, guys growing into roles that perhaps they weren't expected to ever grow into with their original teams. And McCann, I think, is is perhaps a, a perfect example of that. Just how did you see this team grow throughout the year from a team that last year really did look like an expansion team to this year? being a team able to win a round of the playoffs and work their way in deep into the second round? Well, I, I think, first of all, there, there was a bit of a misnomer as far as the narrative went with last year's team. Last year's team underperformed. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They didn't spend $650 million on an expansion team so they could go out and have the third worst team in hockey. Um, there's people that are trying to you know paint that narrative now and say, wow, look, they, they gained 40 points. No, this, this was more of an 80-point team last year instead of a 60-point team vastly underperformed so this year they, they got some new pieces uh everybody started performing more to the backs of their hockey carts and uh you know they had they had what would have been normally about a 20 point jump i mean it's it's it, it's not a mystery they didn't just transition by 40 points overnight so so that's number one number two i mean some guys did take steps i mean justin schultz you mentioned that was one big addition they made on their their blue line core helped them get a little more offense out of the back end and, and that feeds their game. I mean, their game is very fast-paced transition. Um, it's it's very, uh, very physical. They're not the most physical team out there, but they will come at you in waves and be very aggressive on the forecheck. But a lot of that starts out of the back end. If they can't get going out of there, they can't move the puck, uh, their, their entire offensive game gets thrown out. So, so once they were able to add Schultz and then Vince Dunn took a massive step forward for them. Uh, you know, that gave them some balance, uh, gave them a lot of right left balance, first of all, on their, uh, on their blue line core. And that, that helped feed the offensive game. I mean, Jared McCann scored 20, uh, I think it was 28 goals last year. Um, you know, that that's, that's not bad on a team that performed as poorly as his did. And and so he took the next step forward this season with 40 goals. Um yeah. And, you know, did they expect him to be a 40-goal guy? Probably not. But, uh, you know, they'll take it. He's very good. got a great shot. And and the fact that they added a few other offensive pieces, I think, took some of the pressure off of McCann because guys weren't able to key in on him specifically as they might have, you know, last season when they were lacking a little more scoring uh, up front. So guys like Oliver Bjorkstrand, Andre Burakowski when he was healthy, you know, that helped take some of the heat off of McCann and off of Jordan Everly as well, who, who – you know, was really shut down, I think, the latter portion of, of, of last season just because guys knew, you know, hey, you shut down McCann and Everly and there's not many more guys that put the puck in the net. So that helped. Those, those additions helped. Well, that being said, what's the plan for Everly then going into the offseason? Unrestricted free agent. Um, uh, th- this is a team that, you know, as much as people are going to label them an expansion team, I don't think it's it's fair to label them an expansion team anymore, but they, they are a, a relatively younger team a team with a, a, a slew of draft picks. I think I want to say something like 10 draft picks this year. So they can either use those to continue to get younger and fill the pipeline, or they can use those to perhaps target individual pieces that they want. How does Eberly fit into all of that as a 33 year old uh, assistant captain? Well, well, he's actually got one more year left. He's not under. Oh, you're history, right. So. I apologize. But, but, well, no, well, but, but before, I, before I try to cover my own tracks here and the mistake I just made, <laughs> let me say this. It's still a team that does have to decide, I guess, where they want to go with those veterans moving forward. So it's a prime 
prime summer for an extension then for Everly. And pardon me for that mistake, but you know, uh, a prime summer uh, for, for extending guys who only have a year left on their deal. You know, Justin Schultz is a 32 year old defenseman. You talk about what he added as a depth defenseman this year, a guy who can add offense. How do those, how does a, a relatively young franchise look at how they want to use those aging core pieces going forward? Well, I, I think what they're going to do is, is just take a wait and see approach to how next season goes and how some of their younger pieces start to develop. Um, you know, one of the guys that the, the Kraken have that they really have to take a look at is Shane Wright, who, uh, you know, spent most of the season um, down in back in junior hockey and he might end up going back there again this season. I mean, they want to see how far along he is right now. It doesn't look like he's going to make the team out of training camp. Um, you know, he, he's had he's had sort of a mixed bag of results of trying to play in the AHL. He did well during a conditioning stint there in the playoffs. Now he's in the AHL playoffs because he is eligible for those. Um, you know, he, he's, he looks like he's hit a bit of a, a wall, to be honest with you, fatigue wise. And so he's only 19 years old. So, I mean, they want to see where he fits in the lineup and that's going to determine who they have to create room for, uh, you know, going into training camp, if they're going to mm -hmm. have to let some guys go. I mean, there's a lot of question marks they have to answer. And then next season, you know, we'll see how, if he does make the team or, you know, we'll see how some other young guys, there's Ty Cartier who came up in the playoffs from the AHL, made his NHL debut, uh, did a really good job for them. So they're going to give him a shot in training camp. And then we'll see, we'll see how crowded the wings get. And, and you know, that's going to dictate a lot of what they do with guys like Everly. Uh, Yanni Gord is still here, I, I believe for two more seasons. Uh, you know, he's a big part of that leadership. I, I look at the two of them as co-captains, basically, uh, Gordon Everly, uh, you know, and I think so, you know, if Everly continues to produce next year, maybe you look at bringing him back on a, on a really short term deal after that at age 33, 34. Uh, but again, a lot of it's going to be dictated by how these young guys step up and whether the progress they showed guys like Matty Benier showed real progress this season. You know, can he continue that next season? And maybe he's ready to be the captain in another year or so. So, uh, you know, you know, a lot's going to be decided next year. And, and then there's the fact that they've raised expectation levels here yeah. in Seattle this year. I mean, it's not going to be enough for them to get in the playoffs and go one and done. Uh, you know, you know and, and so there is that pressure. And I think it's a good pressure. It's better than the pressure they didn't have last season when nobody was paying attention and they, they were a terrible team. Well, what strikes me, too, is that the depth, uh, especially forward depth, I mean, it's on the blue line as well, but uh, the depth, you know, I, we, we talked about all the former Penguins. I didn't even mention guys like Alexiak, I don't think, or Daniel Sprong, um, who came out of nowhere. Um, the, the depth they fostered, it, it, it just, it seems to me that it, it reeks of Ron Francis and and his preferred method of, of building a team. I, I can't think of a Ron Francis built team that's ever been particularly built around superstars. It, it's always seemingly been built around, hey, our third line can go out there and get one as much as they can grind you down. Same as our first line may not want to go out and grind you down, but they can withstand it and go out and score as well. So um, is this, I guess, an off season where they just continue to look to reinforce that depth, Jeff? I mean, do they have any, do they have any with, I think about $20 million of cap space, any interest in going out and finding say, a centerpiece on the free agent market or do they like this construction and is this what they're looking to go forward with? Well, I think that, that, that space that they have, that cap space, that, that enabled them to get Oliver Bjorkstrand a year ago for next to nothing. And mm -hmm. so if they could find a, a deal like that, wait, and there, there probably will be one or two waiting on the horizon. Sure. It would behoove them to go out and do that because, you know, for as much depth as they had, there were times when they really could have used another goal scorer or two. Um, you think about that series against Dallas that they had. Now you look what's happening, what's happened to the Dallas Stars. I mean, they were a very beatable team. And I think the Kraken, to a man, will tell you they're they're very disappointed that they're not in the uh, in the conference final against Vegas because that, that you know, you're not going to get Jake Ottinger having so many off nights the way he did in that Kraken series. And, and there were times when the Kraken really could have used another goal or two and where where they would revert to their old ways, specific, particularly in game seven, where they didn't score until the last 18 seconds of the game. Uh, they really missed Andre Burakovsky towards the end. Uh, so he's going to come back. That'll be almost like a, a bit of an elite level addition. But, you know, the thing with Burakovsky is people forget he, he was leading the team in points when he got hurt back in um, in February. But he has really started to slow down for a few weeks. And, you know, there were some questions about, you know, when, when he was going to kick his game into gear. So, yeah, they, they might they might be a need to, to add beyond Burakovsky 
this season and, and try to uh, try to take some of the pressure, too, off of guys like Matty Beneers. Uh, because when it came to the playoffs, Matty Beneers, who helped carry the team for much of the regular season, wasn't quite the same guy that he was um, during the regular season. In, in the playoffs, he did slow down. There were guys hitting him. He, they were quite physical with him in the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, you, you could you could probably use uh, some more goal scoring on the, on this team if you can get it. The one theme that has sort of weaved its way in and out of all the conversations we've had looking ahead to this offseason, whether it be Penguins-based conversations here in Pittsburgh or conversations with people from teams that have already been eliminated, is goaltending. And there's a, 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 there's a clear number one in Seattle, right? It's Grubauer. He's the guy. But we've also talked to some people, and as Grubauer gets older now in his 30s, uh, that you start to lose some effectiveness for guys deep in the playoffs, perhaps, if they've been overextended during the regular season, played 60, 65 games. So what is the plan behind Grubauer going into next year? And uh, are they confident that isn't a, a major need that they need to address is sort of that 1B or that second string goaltender? Well, they do have Chris Drieger coming back mm -hmm. from uh, Chris Drieger coming back from a, uh, a torn ACL in his knee that happened a year ago at the World Championships. And you know, prior to that, I mean, everybody forgets he he was supposed to be the starting goaltender here after the expansion draft. They got Grubauer not, not by a fluke, but a, a lot of things had to fall into place for him to come over here. And so, um, you know, they will have Drieger back, and uh, you know, the hope is that he can perform as a, at least a steady backup for, for the remaining year of his contract. Um, they've also got Joey Decord down in, um, in the AHL and, and Decord had, had some really good games when he was up with Seattle, but, but few and far between. So, and, and they, they could end up losing him to free agency uh, this summer. So, uh, you know, they have to make some decisions on it. My, my, my sense is they're going to go with Drieger as the backup and Grubauer as the number one. He's not going to come close to anything like 60, 65 games. They, they have to keep him below that threshold. And, um, and, and honestly, he, he, when he got playing time this, this season, he, he performed very well. Uh, the thing with Grubauer is he got hurt in, in October yeah. and missed five weeks. And I think that threw his season off uh, quite a bit. Prior to that, he was looking all right in net. And, and so, you know, with his save percentage, the thing you got to remember with the Kraken, they don't allow a lot of shots on net. I think they, they were one of the – they allowed something like the fewest – second fewest shots on goal. They were averaging something like 26 shots per game. So when you let in a goal or two or you let in that third goal when you're winning a game 5-1 to one or 5-2, or to two, you know, that really affects your save percentage. And, and so people have been really on Grubauer about his save percentage. I, I don't think it was as bad as the stat made it look. And I think uh, I, th I think he did all right when he had to. The thing with him is you have to eliminate the secondary chances. And their defense yeah. did a really good job of clearing rebounds this season, especially in the playoffs. Really good job of blocking shots. It, it's when it's when you don't do that. He's not going to be like Carey Price and make 50 saves standing on his head at, at the height of his peak of his career. So, um, you know, you really have to do limit those secondary chances in front of him. And, and when you do, he will make that primary save. And, and allow you to stay in the game. And in the playoffs, he did. He took his game to another level. Yeah. So we'll see if he can do that in the regular season. Jeff, before we let you run, um, just what's it been like to watch Seattle and the Pacific Northwest kind of embrace hockey over the last couple of years? Look, it, it's they've embraced hockey in the past, but NHL hockey. Uh, and to see the fan base sort of grow and start to identify itself with the team, um, just what's it been like up there? Well, I grew up in Montreal, in case you can't tell from the yeah. Gila Fleur autograph jersey behind me. Um, I, I grew up in Montreal. I worked in Toronto for nine years covering baseball, but I mean, I lived the, the hockey culture there. So I, I'm coming from one set of extremes to a different one. And, and this was not a hockey town by any stretch. It doesn't matter that it had junior hockey for 45 years. It wasn't a hockey town. When the playoffs came, couldn't put on a TV set and find hockey anywhere in any bar in town. I mean, it, it, it's... Very different now. Now you walk in there and there will be places that are playing hockey. I, th I think what happened is uh, last year, last season with COVID and the team's underperformance, uh, they really did not uh, attract a segment of the casual fan that they really needed in order to, to survive in this market. It's a very busy sports market, a lot like mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. Very big sport, a busy sports market. And so they didn't grab anyone's attention. That attention was finally grabbed, not this regular season when they, they had 100 points and you'd think it would. It was grabbed in the playoffs. We saw... You know, I, I look at our own newspaper's analytics and I can tell you the, the fans that were reading the stories were a lot more abundant than anything we saw the first two years, even probably put together. 
for this franchise. And so they have a real opportunity now. Now they've captured the public's imagination. Now they've got those casual fans that they want. And what they have to do is go out next season and, and seize upon it and not not the worst thing they could do is go out and lose their first 10 games or something like that and be, be right. irrelevant by November. Um, they, they have to stay relevant. And uh, and I think they, they will bring along some of those fans that they converted this spring. They will keep them, retain them. And, and that bodes well going forward. It was a completely different feeling this, this postseason. It was great to see. It, it reminded me of some of my hockey experiences in Montreal, not uh, growing up there. Watched a lot of Stanley Cup parades. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're not there yet here in Seattle, but at least there was some fever. There there was some real interest level in the team. When, when the team played, no other sport mattered, whether it was the NFL draft, which was huge here this year. There was a big yeah. draft for the Seahawks and, and baseball with the Mariners who were coming off their first playoff berth in 21 years. Um, it didn't matter when the Kraken played, that's where everybody was focused. It's great to hear. Um, good to hear that they're embracing it. And uh, good to hear from you. We appreciate the time today. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the offseason progresses for uh, Ronnie Francis and the Kraken and where it goes from here. And like I said, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of hockey fans back here in Pittsburgh will continue to keep a close eye on things with all of those former Penguins littering the roster as well. I want to see how that goes so we can continue to throw darts at our Ron Hextall dartboards, uh, which we've got littering our game rooms across Western Pennsylvania these days. So thanks again, <laughs> thanks again for the time, Jeff. We will catch up again perhaps during free agency. If not then, then certainly once the season gets started again in the fall. Sounds good. Anytime.